Marcus Today Members Podcast on the 1st of February. General advice only, if it's advice at all. Yesterday, of course, we had a good rally in the market on the back of that CPI number, up 81 points on the ASX 200. This morning, we've woken up to the futures down 84 points on the back of two things, I think. One is the obvious dip on Wall Street. Dow Jones down 300 points. NASDAQ down 2.23%. S&P 500 down 1.6%. Most of that's on the back of Alphabet dropping 7.5% and Microsoft 2.7% on their results. Come to those in a minute. But I think the other thing we have to take into account in that futures tick today down 84 points is that after the CPI number yesterday, which yes, was positive and bond yields in Australia dropped 12 basis points, was it? The 10-year bond yield. So very positive for bond yields. And as I say, our market went up 25 points yesterday and then lost the 25 points it gained after the RBA meeting. And then an hour or two later, just took off and rallied into the end of the day and rallied 80 points. And Henry and I put that down to window dressing at the end of the month. Window dressings when fund managers make slightly more hasty than usual investment decisions because the end of the month is coming. If you understand as a fund manager, you'll know at the end of every month, your portfolios get crystallized in the numbers, as do your asset allocations. And if the market's been performing well, fund managers look pretty stupid if they're holding a lot of cash and if they've been performing badly they look pretty stupid being fully invested so sometimes there's a little bit of what's called window dressing at the end of the month where fund managers try to make their portfolios look nice for the end of the month the illegal side of window dressing is something that usually happens used to happen should i say of course it doesn't happen these days used to happen where fund managers at the end of the month would touch up stocks that they held mostly in the small and mid-cap space to make the end of their month reports look good. So if you're holding a small cap and there's a big spread, all you've got to do is buy a few shares on the last day of the month near the close to tick the share price higher and suddenly your performance is a little bit better. That used to go on. It has, of course, been outlawed and people have been, brokers have been, I think one was actually put in prison for touching up share prices at the end of the day. So it doesn't happen anymore, of course. But there is a clear understanding that fund managers, if as per yesterday, there's a good CPI number, bond yields fall, they're thinking the market's going to take off, it's had a good month, and they're sitting on a bit of cash, they decide to put it in before the end of the month, so the end of month report shows that they knew that was going to happen, because they're running low cash levels, things like that. So the end of the month just accelerates fund manager actions a little bit, and that may be why we rallied 80 points. There are a million complications to that assumption, of course. There are also futures traders, futures arbitrages, closing positions, opening positions, rolling positions. So all sorts of things can happen at the end of the month. But either way, that 80-point rally in our market yesterday after the CPI number had already been digested and the market had decided just to sit pat, we then took off. So maybe that's what pushed us. And today, therefore, we have a relatively large reversal in our market compared to what Wall Street did overnight. So here we are today, down 75 points. We lost the 80 points we gained nil sum game down one percent and you'll see the boring stocks doing okay today Coles, Telstra, Woolworths and the growth stocks not doing so well Block, Mineral Resources, Wise Tech for instance. Right let's get away
away from the window dressing. Bottom line comment on that is today's fall is not something that I think we need to react to in the same way we shouldn't necessarily have reacted to the very sharp rise in our market yesterday afternoon. Without that, our market would be flat, probably even up a few points today. So not fussed about Wall Street's fall is the point I'm trying to make. So there's a bit going on. Last night, there was a Federal Reserve meeting, and I've written that up in my section today with all the salient points. The basic message from there is that don't expect a rate cut in March. And the chances of a rate cut in the US in March dropped from 40% to 35%. But the chance of a rate cut in May rose from 85% to 100%. So all that Fed meetings done, there was a little bit of disappointment in, or according to the newswires, a little bit of disappointing appointment that we're not going to get a rate cut in March. But rate cuts are still coming and, as I say, just pushed out a couple of months by the looks of it. And otherwise, the message from the Fed was at points slightly cautious, in other words, describing inflation as elevated. But the basic backdrop is good. Inflation's coming down. They expect rates to be cut before the end of the year, waiting for a bit more data before they can get confident that inflation is moving sustainably towards 2%. They dropped a long-standing reference in their state to possible further rate hikes and they were upbeat about the economy expanding at a solid pace and as usual they finish with the comment that they are carefully assessing incoming data so the message from the fed was inflation's on track to get back to target don't expect an early rate cut but they're coming and the economy's doing okay so that was pretty good and on the back of that you'll see u.s bond yields dropped 11.2 basis points for the 10-year and 12.4 basis points for the two years so dovish positive for equities and if you have a look at the chart of bond yields in my section today it's a significant chart that rally in bond yields that we saw at the beginning of this year has now reversed and bond yields coming down again we see that as a very positive backdrop for the equity market the fed meeting confirms everything's on track so good the other factor overnight obviously was alphabet dropping seven and a half percent and microsoft 2.7 percent on results And the reason for the drop is CapEx is going up. Alphabet's CapEx up 45% and Microsoft CapEx up 69%. They are spending a lot of money developing AI and competing with each other. Money on servers, data centers, research. It costs money. And after a 58% rise in Alphabet's share price in the last year, you can see some profit taking. And one of the headlines today was investors punish Microsoft Alphabet as AI. AI returns fall short of lofty expectations. 20% of the S&P 500 report this week. AMD also dropped 2.5% despite raising guidance on AI. So we just have a bit of profit taking. Qualcomm as well down 2.5% after hours on results which beat expectations. So the question for us this morning was do we sell FANG? We bought FANG as a trade. That's the ETF that covers most of the major big tech stocks, most of which are into AI. Do we sell FANG? We're not selling FANG. And the reason we're not selling FANG is I think 
think we've seen a bit of profit taking on results. Results had to be fabulous to be good. And these good results were only okay. And okay results are a disaster. So after the price rises, we've seen results really had to be fabulous. And the markets managed to find a few negatives in the results. That's not fussing us too much. And we're holding FANG because we feel the backdrop to the US market is very positive. Bond yields are coming off. Inflation's under control. Interest rates are coming down. If you look at the earnings growth expected from US results seasons over the next four quarters, it is a profile of constant positive growth with a very big fourth quarter next year. It is hard at this point to see what is wrong with the equity market. So we're fully invested in strategy. Happy to hold the fang because with interest rates coming off like this, it's positive for growth stocks and technology stocks lead growth stocks. And as I say, the fang reaction today down 0.9% is a bit immaterial. We are only down 1.1% on our fang bet in the strategy portfolio. That's not terminal. And there is nothing precipitous about the current setback. There is a daily RSI sell signal on the NASDAQ, but it's not enough to react to in the strategy portfolio. So happy to hold. Backdrop for the market looks good. Outlook for this year looks good. I see some brokers in the US upgrading their target prices for the S&P 500 this year. Nothing appears to be wrong at this stage. So happy to be fully invested. And again, in the growth portfolio, income portfolio, no need to change anything at this point. We still need to do this tidy up of the income portfolio. Whilst the market's going up, we're happy. And most of our growth stocks are behaving. So steady as she goes in the portfolios. You might have read yesterday, I was wondering why the lithium stocks were coming off yesterday morning. Global lithium stocks were looking pretty horrible. Bank of America has cut its lithium price forecasts again, as Henry says. They can't cut them much further. But it does explain the drop in global lithium stocks yesterday. And I put a table in of how far lithium, these global lithium stocks we track, have been down in the last month. And most of them are down 20 to 30%. So still on the nose in the lithium sector. And again, despite a recent bounce, you've got Pilbara Minerals down 2.3% today. Mineral Resources down 3.1% today. Any of these rallies, unless they're based on a genuine bottoming in the lithium price, any of these rallies are short-lived at this point in time in battery-related stocks. Still got a few things to look forward to this week. We've got the US jobs numbers on Friday. We've got a Bank of England meeting tonight. I think after that Fed meeting, the jobs number is unlikely to disturb. And they have talked about some easing in the jobs market and the ADP private sector employment number overnight in the US did show some easing of a tight labor market, which is positive for this message that inflation is under control and bond yields or interest rates are going to come down. The other little thing just to mention today is there was some stress in the US regional bank sector overnight as the New York Community Bancorp share price fell 37.7% on results, which saw an unexpected loss and a cut in dividend. That took the KBW Regional Bank Index down 6%. Market didn't seem too fussed by that. If you remember a year ago, the Silicon Valley Bank collapse provided, if anything, a buying opportunity in the US market. And after that, this wobble is water off a duck's back to the main market. Could develop, of course. Nothing much to report in Australia. New Farm down 7% on a warning about a challenging first half. 
Australian building approvals drop a rather scary 9.5% in December. They're expected to rise half a percent. House prices to climb 5% in 2024, according to the CBA. They were up 0.4% in January, according to CoreLogic, in January, and up 10% over the last 12 months to a record high. That's despite the rate rises we had last year. In January, house prices fell marginally in Melbourne and climbed 0.2% in Sydney. And that's about that. Let's finish with a little bit of education on the suggestions for education subjects. We got one email which simply said SMSF investment strategies. I like short emails and we are planning an education series of videos this year if we can get round to them. Always so busy. And one of the starters we thought that might get people interested would be the catch line. Marcus today. Learn how to manage your own SMSF. So what are the SMSF strategies? Let me give you the most common one, which is from people who've been in the stock market a while, say 10, 20, 30 years. Most people have been indoctrinated into holding around 20 stocks. And a lot of portfolios I've seen have often had a tail of 10 to 30 tiny stocks, which is every stock tip anyone's ever heard. And they hold them till they go to zero. So there's usually a long tail. But the majority of people running their own SMSF might traditionally hold, traditional is the right word, it is traditional in Australia to hold 20 stocks, mostly big brand name stocks, well-known stocks. And as anyone who's been around at Marcus today for a while will know, we used to have this expression, the moron portfolio. Don't think we're allowed to use the word moron anymore, but the moron portfolio, which was the portfolio picked out for clients by financial advisors who didn't really know much about investment. And what they would do is take the top 50 stocks by market cap and cross out any stocks they didn't understand or couldn't spell the name. And consequently, everybody ended up holding BHP and QBE and Woolworths and Telstra, four banks, Quarry, the obvious portfolio, not really the moron portfolio, but the obvious portfolio and the sort of portfolio that a financial advisor couldn't be sued for recommending because they're such big companies. Every financial advisor, by the way, has to have a reasonable basis for every recommendation. This is why they subscribe to research from people like Morningstar, because they need to be able to wave a piece of research in the faces of the regulator to say, no, we did the research, but someone else actually did the research. But anyway, the standard portfolio is a portfolio of 20 large cap, big brand name, well-known stocks. And part of the reason there are 20 is because everybody through the ages has told investors to diversify. So anybody well-intentioned running their own super fund will hold 20 stocks. 10 seems a bit too concentrated. I remember J.B. Weir 30 years ago used to suggest that after some statistical analysis that 13 stocks was the optimal portfolio holding number. People would hold 13 stocks if they were clients of J.B. Weir. So this is the standard formula for running an SMSF. It is holding 20 stocks. The problem with that, of course, is that whilst that is reasonably low volatility, reasonably reliable, an advisor can't be sued for recommending that. And most investors feel comfortable and sleep at night knowing that they've got big companies. The truth of the matter is that some of 
those companies never perform. Over the long term, for instance, everybody held QBE. And rolling through those 20 stocks at all times, those 20 big stocks have been some big stocks that become small stocks, Babcock and Brown. And as big stocks, mature stocks, they have relatively low growth options. So performance is rarely transformational. And it prompted me to write that most investors aren't trying to make money in the Australian market. They're trying to look after money they've already made. And I think for most younger people, especially people that think there is some party going on in the equity market, the reality is that if you want to make substantial sums of money, ignore the highly featured stories of success in the stock market and make it in a regular way. And the best ways to do that I have found, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is to build a business. And most clients that turn up with big portfolios have at some point had an event in their lives which has delivered a large sum of money, most usually selling a business, otherwise taking dividends out of their own business on a regular basis. Most people do not make their fortune in the stock market. They make their fortune in business. And anybody who works relentlessly for a salary will generally find that they don't tend to get far ahead because what usually happens is everybody works to spend. And the more you earn, the more you spend. And it's difficult to build an asset. Read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Anyway, there are limitations to how well you will do holding 20 stocks. And I wrote that article, The One Stock Portfolio, many years ago, which still sustains today, which makes the point that there is probably less risk knowing everything about one stock than there is holding 20 stocks you know nothing about or very little about other than how to spell them. BHP, QBE, CSL. So you have a few options beyond the traditional 20 big stocks. And the options are to invest for income, blue zone investors, see our recent series on colors. And for you, there is the income portfolio in the newsletter. The other option is to invest for growth. Don't worry about dividends. Just try and pick out stocks that are growing. And the formula for that is the yellow zone investors in our color scheme. And they would generally be people who don't need an income. And that's quite high intensity. Income stocks are quite easy. There's a set list and it's very weighted to banks in Australia. They're too big to fail. They've got decent yields. They've got a monopoly, oligopoly. They've got no international competition, in other words. And they just keep churning it out and paying it back to shareholders. So income stocks, there's a pretty much a set list in Australia. Look up any income fund run by a fund manager. Go to their website, look at their main holdings. You'll see the same stocks in every income portfolio. So that's fairly standard stuff. That's one way to run your SMSF. Focus on income. Another way is to focus on growth, a yellow zone. And that is quite intense. That's stock picking, that's researching, that's reading a lot. And this is for people who don't need an income and are looking to grow their nest egg rather than earn an income from their nest egg. Even people who do need income sometimes don't even bother with yield. They try and grow their capital in order to pay for their groceries. They sell shares so that you will make more money in a high return on equity company over the long term than you will on a high yielding company over the long term. So that's one group of investors aiming for growth. Now that's for people who see the stock market as a hobby. They are vigilant. They probably spend a lot of time and it's not for everybody. That's your second strategy or third if you include the 20 stock portfolio. And then your other strategy is what we do in the strategy portfolio. And this for me as I get older 
is increasingly interesting to see how this strategy portfolio, which involves investing in passive exchange-traded funds, which represent the markets, ASX 200 or 300, or the NASDAQ or the S&P, and there are some geared ETFs, as you know, and there are also sector ETFs for sector themes. This ETF approach to investing, uh, for me, is probably where I imagine myself being when I eventually retire with my many millions, sitting down for half an hour a day or an hour a week or an hour a day, talking to a few of my mates and timing markets and sector themes through exchange-traded funds. They are low volatility, the, the diversification, especially on index ETFs, is built in. You're holding 500 stocks in the S&P 500, 200 in an ASX 200 ETF, and so on. The diversity is built in, the liquidity is provided by the ETF providers. So you're not going to push an ETF around that's based on the NASDAQ. The liquidity will be provided to you. And that, for me, seems to be the best, the fourth solution. So SMSF strategies, there there is a fifth one. The fifth one is put your money in an industry fund or a large retail fund and let them do it all for you and just play with your asset allocation on your mobile app. And in most cases, I'd be sitting at aggressive and occasionally go to cash when the world goes oblong. So that's one strategy. Just stick it in an industry fund and sleep at night. Another strategy is your 20 stocks, which a lot of you are doing. The other strategy is just income stocks. Another strategy is chase growth stocks. That's for people who have got the time and interest. And the last strategy I think is emerging as the most popular strategy is timing the markets and sectors and themes through exchange-traded funds. That's the least activity, the fewest decisions per annum. And as you'll know, yesterday we made 35% doing that out of three basic decisions. And that's what I intend to do this year. If our newsletter succeeds with its strategy portfolio this year, then that's as much value, I think, as we need to deliver to you lot. But out of all that, it does just make the point that that strategy that I know a lot of you are using, which is your 20 big stocks, talking knowledgeably about the markets and the economy and what the central banks are doing, going to AGMs, that approach, I feel, is flawed because a lot of the time those stocks are slow performers. Some of them can mess up. And generally speaking, people in that portfolio are very bad at selling, very bad at making decisions, don't do enough research, but rely on big brand names and that 20 stock diversification. But when the whole market falls over, they sit there and do nothing and wear it on the nose. So during the GFC, those 20 stock people got absolutely nailed. In the strategy approach ETFs, you wouldn't have got nailed because we would have been timing the markets, intending to time the markets and doing something about the market falling over. But a lot of the 20 stock portfolio people are the worst investors because they can't sell, don't watch closely enough and don't know enough about the stocks and they're relying on basic principles and probably quote Warren Buffett a lot. And there you go. Anyway, hope that was interesting. As I leave you, our market down 85 points. Most of the sectors down about the same, down about 1.0 to 1.5%. Boring sectors like consumer staples doing better than the rest, but still down. It's a bit of a non-day here, a bit of a reversal from yesterday. NASDAQ futures are interestingly higher, as are the Dow futures at the moment. The big tech results are mostly out of the way now, so risk over, so we're still holding the fang. You have a fabulous day, and I will speak to you tomorrow. (laughs) 